0: Retail Revolution is a special limited podcast created specifically for retailing and service design, a unique course that is part of the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Each episode features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omnichannel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to the short and long-term challenges and implications of COVID-19, and potential opportunities to rethink retail's future. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey, Both are assistant professors in the School of Fashion at Parsons.
1: Welcome to Retail Revolution, where we discuss all things pertaining to retailing and service design. Today, we are going to discuss the power of innovation and leveraging data for success. And here with us is design engagement lead at SAP, Dr. Niz Safrudin. Hello, Dr. Safrudin. how are you?
2: Hi, Chris, very well. Thanks very much for the invite, Such an honor.
1: Thank you. I'm glad you were able to, uh, to make time to, to chat with us because it is definitely a crazy time right now for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so but before we get into to that and, and where, where we see ourselves going after this pandemic, could you tell our listeners about you?
2: Right, um, gladly. So as you've mentioned, um, I am a customer design engagement lead at SAP AppHouse. So like app as in application house, like Bauhaus. Um, so yeah, merge those two together, you get AppHouse. Uh, so for those who don't know SAP, it's um, it's a multinational um, enterprise company that's uh, headquartered in Germany. It's a German software company. And um paint a bit of a, you know, the scale of our business essentially 77% of the world's transaction touches an SAP system across 25 different industries. So you know, we provide enterprise solutions across uh, various lines of business and processes like finance, HR, um, customer experience, manufacturing, supply chain, the whole shebang. So um, it's when I say it's a large organization, we're talking about 100,000 employees. So I'm in this team called AppHouse and you can see AppHouse as a like a creative consultancy within SAP. So we take a human centered approach to innovation, um, really focusing on the end user. So to make sure that the solution actually gets adopted by our customers, where what I do mainly is that I lead and manage customer engagements. So on the end to end innovation journey, um, using cutting edge technologies like uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cloud platform, you know, all that good stuff. Oh,
1: Now, that's exciting. So I want to come and hang out with you one day. (laughs)
2: You're welcome anytime.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, what you're doing, what your team is doing, it is what every single retailer is probably thinking about when they wake up in the morning and go in uh, and when they go to bed. And because you're thinking about what is next for them, you know, I'd love to hear from you. When you look at retail and customer engagement, what are the biggest shifts that you've seen in the last five years?
2: Mm. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would say that, uh, you know, I like to think in dimensions. So let's start. I would say that there were at least um, four areas where you could see this shift. Right. So in terms of the people, the, the product and the offering um, the processes and, and the place. So let's start with the people first. Um, Perhaps for me, what's most striking is that, you know, um, as millennials and Gen Z, or especially the Gen Z are coming to the workforce, there's, uh, they're influencing, you know, um, the market span and consumer demand, which impacts the, you know, the product and the service offering. So you're starting to see this awakened generation where they're starting to shift towards more conscious consumerism, and, you know, Asking for more pressing topics like sustainability, inclusivity. and rightfully so, you know, because as it stands today, um, if the industry doesn't change its practices, I mean it, you know it's estimated they'll create like uh, one hundred and forty eight million or some number around those number of tons of waste by 2030 and that's exactly why we have this you know united nations sustainable development goals which sap is working towards with our customers in order to address that issue to to reduce that waste along our supply chain and you know our consumption and so forth so i think that has become more prominent which to me is um uh, a great opportunity for us to contribute to the environment And that then subsequently impacts the third area, which is the process. Right. So which means that now that, you know, there's this issues of wanting to do um, business for good, there's also a call for more transparency. Um, and that is where like, for instance, um, the last couple of years, you've seen blockchain technologies, right? Like coming up and becoming more prominent, um, so in the fashion companies, they're giving uh, customers' detailed information about every step of the product's journey, right? From where it was farmed, um, from where the wool, uh, for, for wool for a sweater, and it was shared through a factory. And then, so for me, that's an interesting um, shift as well. And then the last, and perhaps what's most exciting for me, is re- the place with the shift. Because you're starting to see more digital first stores, you know, like Warby Parker, Amazon, Bonobos, the Runway. You know, they're digitally born and then they came into the physical world. Whereas before it was the other way around. Right. You have these brick and mortar stores and then they start to think about digital. But now that's like you you flip it on its head almost.
1: You know, in that one uh, response, I feel like you uncovered so many things that I want to talk about. And I'm, (laughs) I'm, you know, the Gemini in me is trying to figure out what it is I I want to go towards first. let's go with this first. Yeah. We are currently in a global crisis or situation that we've never experienced before that has affected everything from supply chain to customer engagement. Mm So, you know, you brought up sustainability and it's been something that has been talked about in the industry agnosium for years. And- you know, one of the things I think about with this pandemic is that it is going to make us level set about how we consume and what we're consuming and and being far more conscious in that. What do you think is going to matter in the next six months to a year after this COVID-19 pandemic?
2: Um, Indeed, you know, I, I was having a conversation with my friend saying that I'm really curious to see the measurements with regards to, you know, the carbon emission when... Uh, in a few few months time because a lot of you know logistics um uh, with the airplanes and the transportation and our consuming and producing waste have, i would imagine would have have a dramatic shift but that being said i think when it comes to retail i i would say you know if you'll allow me to indulge um i would say there are two areas um firstly now at the moment The brick and mortars are closed, right? Well, except for the essential businesses. And so that means that retailers are inevitably forced to amp up their online presence. So so this digital world, which, by the way, is already an environment that's already crowded and noisy, you know, because there's like, what, 4.5 or something billion people on the internet. So these barriers are entry are really low and they're already competing for so now they're competing for attention first revenue second right and it's not on local scale anymore it's they're competing on global scale so if they think that they weren't a global business before now more than ever it's becoming a hard reality so we're starting to see you know these creative approaches in coming up with um, um, ways that could make up for the experience in the brick and mortars like uh, the use of augmented reality to project your shoe on the foot um, or how glasses would look like on your face with Warby Parker. In fact, at, um, early today I was seeing um, a survey result that was done over 2,000 people, I think in, was it in the U.S., somewhere in the U.S., and they were saying how nowadays people uh, they did a survey across various retail businesses and glasses, apparently, people are demanding video calls more than just phone calls and the same applies for pharmacy. Um, so, yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, because of these, we're looking for creative avenues to still engage with our customers um, and even the same applies for furnitures, right? Like the IKEA, for instance, where you could um, um, have a, furniture, a digital twin in your of a, of a chair in, in your room. Um, and I think these things are already out there. So it would not for me, it wouldn't be surprising to see that more retails are jumping on board with these kind of tactics. Um, which would be also beneficial when things go back to quote unquote normal, um, which ironically enough (laughs) will be the new normal. So yeah, so for me personally, though, I would like to see more intelligence um, being injected into this digital experience. So for instance, instead of telling me what small, medium or large or extra large or extra small or whatever would correspond to whatever size numbers that Maybe um, how about I give you my measurements and you show me how this would look like for my digital twin, my personal, you know, virtual representation of my physical self based on the data that I'm willing to give, like my measurements, like my pictures from various angles, which I'm already posting on. Not really, but, you know, people are posting on on Instagram or whatever. And then you'll know through my, you know movement or thereof. that you know whether i'm doing squats or push-ups <laughs> right i'm gonna go from you know a small to a medium which means that my hacks uh, my, my health will be affected by my sugar levels so data regarding my cholesterol and you know my heartbeat and what have you then you can tell me by predicting my intent that hey you know here are some of the partners in your ecosystem or within my radius that i can connect with for wellness coaching or holistic healing or you know, online or otherwise, whatever. So I, I think this um, um, being able to not just come up with tactical approaches, but also strategic um, vision, insight, uh, would be beneficial not just for now, but also in the long run when, you know, business resumes quote unquote as usual. So meanwhile, you've already seen social commerce happening, right? So why not, for instance, the business has always been from B2B B and then B2C, but there's also this fundamental connection with C2C that we are not leveraging yet. It's already out there. And perhaps this is a time where we could leverage that. So, you know, with this community where consumers are connected to one another, why not pivot your sales associate or stylist to lead a live community forum or, you know, (laughs) throwing a slumber party or something? Because those things are already happening now. I don't know if you've seen um, certain alerts, Chris, where you know, you could have like house parties and whatever, but anyway, my point is that
1: I'm so far removed from it. I'm, <laughs> so... So I'm, I'm pretty much usually asleep by nine, so I kind
2: of... <laughs> well, actually, this is a morning party <laughs> that
1: starts at 11, so
2: I think I'll send you a request.
1: But yeah, anyway... <laughs> about that morning party. I'm, I'm gonna do it, I promise.
2: I do. It's so wonderful. You start off with like a yoga, then you dance a little bit, and you have intention setting, so this whole, you know, I think it's very now where we're more aligned with our consciousness so that comes back to the whole sustainability inclusivity um, and so my point is that brands need to support the community now so that the community can support the brands too you know because people don't buy products people buy brands right. so this would then be a shift um, from a business model from being that of a just a sheer retailer to a lifestyle brand i mean wouldn't that be fabulous
1: well, I think what, what you hit on, which which is what I love, and I, I think I I love this this word that you used, intent. You and I have a connection because we both believe in in and practice the art of meditation and, and being present and understanding what what is your intention when you get up every day, what is your intention when you are making a decision. Yeah. And I think it's important that retailers start to understand how to get into what people's intent is no one really understands why people buy what they buy what their buying pattern is i think that's probably one of the things every retailer's always been trying to figure out since the beginning of time because it's not necessarily always based in functionality and we know that we buy a lot more things from an emotional standpoint than we would care to admit when you talk about intent and and when we think about this crisis we're in right now and i love that you brought up functionality of clothing. So our mindsets will change. What will our clothing be able to do for us in the future when it comes to, will it tell me if I'm about to have a stroke maybe? Um, How do we integrate technology into our clothing design? Because let's be honest, there's going to be a level of fear when people go back out. And I absolutely believe that we are going to see a great number of people engaging in brick and mortar locations, again, yeah. more so than yeah. before. I mean, it, you know, Digital Commerce 360 and Bizray did a survey of, I think, you know, maybe 1,050 online shoppers mm-hmm. right now. And within the survey, what they found is, is that the ordering behavior of 69% of them had not changed and 20% of them placed a few more orders online. So here we are, and, and granted, it's still the beginning of, of this pandemic. But you know, I think in a lot of people's head, it was like, wow, we're go- we everyone's really going to start ordering online, and that really didn't happen in that way, right? So we don't see this big shift of, of tons more people just ordering online. So I, I think there's still something to be said to your point about the social interaction and what is C to C going to look like. Yeah. You know, you and I have talked about, and using this word, it's funny, I, you know, I say omni-channel because omni-channel is <laughs> the word that you use. I, I can already hear you laughing.
2: Yeah, I have, <laughs> I'm a bit allergic to this term, but that's just me.
1: And I want, I, yeah, exactly. And I'm bringing this up because I want you to tell me why you're allergic to that term.
2: I mean, you know, there's always this. I mean, from my, you know, my humble opinion, <laughs> um, Omnichannel has never really taken off. I mean, it's, I find it to be more of an aspirational dream um, that struggles into manifesting into reality. I mean, you tell me, who out there are the prime examples of Omnichannel pioneers? Like, you, you know, you can give me a handful of people, but have who have mastered this, um, probably like in back in the days, it was like Burberry, you know? Um, someone comes into the store, they're aware, they engage with their tablet, la di da da but that was like, what, about a decade ago um, or so, or less? Anyway, my point is that um, we, we're always talking about this seamless experience between the physical world and the, and the digital world. Um, and you don't really see that really happening. Because if you go into a store, do people know you? They don't. And you know, do they know what you like? Do they know what you purchase? It's only until you, you know, it, it's not as um, personal as you would really be. And the question is why? Right. Because it's such a complex, multifaceted, you know, phenomena that we haven't really cracked yet to the extent that we can say, wow, that was seamless. It was delightful. They know exactly what I wanted and what matters to me. So this remains a challenge to date, right? Like, how can we create a meaningful and seamless experience that transcends across both physical and digital worlds? And how do we approach this?
1: I agree with you on this in the sense that I always think omni-channel works best in those situations where it really is functional need and I say that because you know I always think of Home Depot Mm -hmm. and I think they do it really well but I don't go to Home Depot for an emotional reason right I'm going to Home Depot because they have the goods for me to complete a project that I want to do so out of the necessity to complete the project I go to Home Depot and I can engage with and navigate the store via their mobile device and they've made they, they've made the transaction simple and I to your point where you go you've gone into a place no one knows you well the thing is is that as a society we we wanted to not be noticed until we were ready to be noticed
0: perfect sir
1: sure. yeah <laughs> I'm done with that <laughs> and that, that makes it, you know, from a sales associate perspective, that's difficult from Correct. a retail brand perspective. That's difficult. And, and quite frankly, many of us, when we go out and we're shopping, I don't think we know who we are a lot of the time. And so we're consistently going out to be inspired. And it's I mean, how do you aggregate or how do you create an omnichannel experience in that way? When, when the people you're engaging with, they're not exactly sure of what they want. So mm. I agree with you.
2: I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, that's why I say that it's a multifaceted approach. I mean, from a service design perspective, um, you kind of have to, you know, have the as a comprehensive picture as you possibly can. So, you know, to understand who is your audience? Who are you serving? Who is the persona um, that you're servicing and providing value for, you know? What is the pain point of the consumer along their journey, and then you map that with the journey of the businesses. So from the frontline workers serving the customers, you know what are their challenges, and for the backstage workers, um, what are their barriers for an you know inefficient an and effective performance? So you have these, and for the supporting processes, you know what are challenges there? And um, chances are there's a lot of manual and siloed operations. Um, and so how can we leverage contemporary te- technologies that exist today? Like, like machine learning or, or, or whatever. And then, so that's why you need to ask, like, who are we today? Who do you want to be in the next 10 years time? Then you do that backcast, right to the five years time and then cast it back again. Then you have your roadmap to what's an exciting, you know, a transformation journey that, that would at least try to the best as possible to address that, um, you know, omni-channel, uh, experience, so to speak.
1: Well i think you know when we when we think about omnichannel and we think of data mm-hmm. i think the reason sometimes it feels as though the omnichannel experience misses it is because we've only ever looked we we've always kept data so separate it's either mm-hmm. operational yeah. data or emotional data mm-hmm. but we we never do a g- great job of of kind of Blending both, and I, I want to say you, 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 and your team, and I think SAP is is right on the forefront of figuring out how operational and emotional data work together. Yeah, yeah. So, so how are you guys doing that? <laughs>
2: um, I would say that you know, so yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the heart of our business today. So, you know, let's start with the basics first, right? So this operational or data tells you about the what of things. So what is the outcome in terms of finance, supply chain, sales, customer experience, you know, and so forth. So they're really truly operational slash transactional data, right? Um, but the question is that most organizations don't know is why are they the way that they are? So that's why you have this X data or, you know, this emotional, we call it experience data, which gives you insights into the reason why you're getting those results. So from a product perspective, from a brand perspective, through to the customer and the employee perspective, right? Then you have have this holistic amount of data and you're absolutely right. A lot of times, a lot of companies have siloed data structures anyway, which um, impacts that, right? And so that's where the concept of this intelligent enterprise comes to play. Um, where you were leveraging intelligent technologies like machine learning, blockchain, artificial intelligence, you know, analytics, cloud platform integration and all that good stuff. So I'll give you an example. Um, Perhaps one of my favorite cases is the um, intelligent enterprise inspired by Adidas. So you, you you know, Adidas is really big on personalization. They, you know, they believe that um, everyone should feel special with whatever that they, Uh, have, you know, purchased from Adidas, um, which seeks to be the best, you know, sporting brand in the world. So in this journey towards an intelligent enterprise, you know, they really start off from, um you know the marketing and sales understanding the consumer behavior personalization um you know um, profiling and understanding what the consumer demands are and then that informs their product design right like so where they can customize their shoes so they know what colors would they would like um what colors they they could forecast in the future thanks to you know machine learning or predictive analysis or whatever it is Mm -hmm. um and then once you have the product design then that will inform what you're going to procure right so that goes through procurement And then that procurement takes you to the manufacturing and all the way to logistics. So that means that you have the intelligence to inform from the top floor to the shop floor and where every decision and process is connected, right? All the data um, are connected at at that certain point in time. And so that reduces the launch of a new product concept from being 18 months to as little as three weeks. So for me, that is where you can understand what's happening in the operational side of the house, um, in terms of logistics and everything, Uh, and then you understand what the customers, um, why, their whys, like what are they driven towards, and you merge them with this intelligent technology and platform. And there you go, you have a business where you're able to A, make money from the revenue that you are generating um, from the sales um, and getting a return from investment from marketing, Um, And B, you can save money from deficiencies because you're not producing too much or too little, for example.
1: I mean, I think this is the answer where we're we're going to need to see companies go into the direction of, especially after we come out of this crisis, because this limits the need or it limits the situation of creating too much product, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, this has plagued retail for quite some time. I mean, many of them right now, the biggest stress is, okay, uh, we are, you know, this happened in Q1. Q2, typically we would go into sales cycle with understanding that full price deliveries would happen. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'd have a sale client that's shopping plus a full price client that's shopping. You know, they'd be looking at what the sell through is. And now we have a lot of inventory on hand in a lot of places. And this is going to change the game for the rest of the year because we've produced inventory in general, you know, far too much maybe for what is being Mm -hmm. desired. Yeah. (laughs) This information, you know, if if you're a company who's going, okay, what do we do next? And and understanding uh, there's a financial impact that's now happened what do we do with our money to you know how do we invest it appropriately for the yeah. future and i would argue that this is something that you would need to look at investing with right because it's really going into in the future how do we not be in a spot where we would be way down by a lot of inventory
2: absolutely
1: i want to ask you something because you know we we've talked so far about you know to me things that i you know they're they're extremely interesting and you know i could talk about them forever but in in the mood of time i want to know what it is that gets you excited about oh. the industry and your role in it you know when you wake up in the morning what do you you know what just gives you that like what i get to do this today
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely you know it's um the word that pops to mind is convergence and i would say this is a uh, um omnichannel on steroids perhaps better Um, And that's, you know, um, again, for me, what gets me really excited is this, um, this concept of, you know, you have this physical world, and then you have this digital world, right, Um, and designing an experience for the consumer, for the businesses, for every parties involved within the ecosystem that is meaningful and seamless, that gets me excited. It's a grand challenge. Hard to crack, but hey, you know I'm not one for boring things. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll <laughs> continue sleeping and not get out of bed, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I um I, I I especially and you know I'm a bit old school as well, so I really um I I appreciate very much the physical um environment, and so this whole brick and mortar thing. So you know, um, I I actually what drives me is also to ensure that these companies go back to their roots of why, you know, why did we exist in the first place, not the businesses. I mean, the businesses, not it as individuals. That's another separate conversation. Also these brick and mortar stores, like now, can you imagine after this COVID, right? Well, when it, not so much after, but when it starts to subside a little bit, because we're at this peak right now, at some point kind of plateau, and then it's going to decline, right? And then when we are finally free again to visit these brick-and-mortar stores, I mean, consumers will read really a really good reason as to why you want to step into those stores, you know? I mean, why would they if you can already have these digital twins or product um, through augmented reality or virtual reality or whatever? But of course, you need that whole touch and feel factor, but that's not enough, you know, that it would be just be a chore rather than a, a destination. So, which means that retailers really need to work uh, look inward, right, and ask themselves and do some introspection and say, what are we trying to achieve here other than sales? Because sales will come naturally with the mission that you are going to serve, right? And anyway, um, with this lockdown <laughs> extended for another month now, um, they would already need to rethink what are they going to do, as you said, rightfully so, with the existing stock, um, other than dusting and offloading old stock through sales, okay. but." Importantly, how are they going to support their, you know, the, the internal human resources and the community as a whole? So my, I, I, what I see or I hope to see is that these brick and mortar stores start devoting their space and time in connecting with the neighborhood community, you know, having a dialogue, educating them. Um, like so forth in the case we talk about um, inventory too much, you know, there's this concept, um, Adidas is also working on upcycling and recycling you know, and Pentagonian Rothies, they're all on that path. And so how can we have a dialogue with our community? How can we learn more from them in order to better our business? Because, you know, also anyway, like that saying, you know, if you hang around around a, a barbershop or a nail salon long enough, at some point you get a haircut or a manicure, you know, or pedicure, <laughs> whatever, because you're fancy, right? And studies actually show that the longer people th- people spend time in a store, the likelier they are to buy something they than they would online, like 89% of women and 78% of men who visit physical stores shared that they added additional items in their cart beyond their need, the identified need. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's why that's, so there are many ways where retailers can provide, you know, you know job for community and still serve a purpose but this won't work without all these gimmicks though it has to be real it has to be authentic and that is what gets me excited because i really want to help businesses reconnect to their true purpose their true mission and you know and and, and really serve because the, then this revenue sales and all that good stuff will come anyway with and technology
1: there you have it everyone from an ex social <laughs> scientist
2: <laughs> and hippie at heart
1: <laughs> uh, yeah you know, I think the thing I, I want to take most from that is you said something that just resonates with me, which is remove the gimmick. Yeah, And I think the gimmick becomes so... And I don't know if it's exhaustive sometimes to me because you know, I've been in the industry for, for far too long, for 23 years, and so you just kind of know it. But sometimes yeah. you just want to be like, yeah, I, you know, but why are you doing this, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, Brooks Brothers did something that I appreciate. So they, you know, they took three of their factories and uh, turned them into being able to to produce oh, goods tomorrow. for hospitals, medical mm-hmm. um, goods. Now, here's why that, it to me, it did not feel gimmicky and it didn't feel, you know, mm-hmm. as a way to kind of be at the forefront so that after this people think of Brooks Brothers. They were established in 1818. Um, yeah. And they, they have always said they're the oldest retailer in in America. Their DNA is that they have supported the country in some way by either making uniforms in some way. And so I think for them to do this, it was, well, this is who we are. Yeah. And, and we haven't forgotten about who, who we are. So we're yeah. going to do this because this is what we do. And then when this is all over, said and done with, we'll go back to who we have become. But we need to be who we were for a second, and and I love that.
2: Yeah, um, that's beautiful. It's wow. it's
1: it's amazing. And I, I, you know, and and I myself, I will admit, I, I'm a you know, I was a huge fan of Brooks Brothers black fleece, and and you know, I, I love the things that they do and their their quality. But I I, I don't think that that's gimmicky. I think that that is it's most yeah. authentic. Uh, totally from-
2: and people can smell that a mile away, you know, whether you... I mean, kudos to them for, for anyone who's trying out these new technologies. But, you know, trying technologies for technology's sake, you know, it's, it's it's it doesn't make sense. You really have to address what is the problem that's most pressing now and also that you could see would address in the future, right? Yeah. Um that's why this whole sustainability topic is such a big thing, because if we continue the way that we do, but, you know, especially with the use of plastics, um, um, then, you know, by 2030, they will be more plastics than fishes in the ocean. I mean, how tragic is that for the next generation? Right.
1: Yeah, um, it's extremely. Yeah. Ch- I think what we're going to see, you know, as you, you mentioned earlier, is when this is, you know, sub- subsides, how we will see the planet change in this period of time will be really interesting and extremely telling and i should say telling not even just for the fashion industry because the fashion industry always takes the brunt of a lot of of what happens and yes it does does create a lot of waste but a lot of things create a lot of waste Mm -hmm. Um, and and there are even you know things that are happening with our own uh countries with, with certain types of regulations that might be rolled back or, or whatever. So we all play a huge part. in. And I, I always say that, you know, there's this thing where we point our finger at the fashion industry, but we also are participating in the fashion industry all the mm-hmm. way down to how often do I wash my clothes? Absolutely. You know, yeah. It's all those things that go into it. So yeah. it's going to put a magnifying glass on a lot of industries. They're
2: all connected, you know, I mean, the oiling, uh, I mean, fashion industry may require some plastic packaging, which they're reducing at the moment, and that you know, plastic is eventually comes from oil and gas, right? And right. so that goes through, you know, um, manufacturing, and you know, it's it's like it's a, it's a whole value chain that's interconnected. So that's why I, I I'm excited for companies who are you know looking at the circular economy, whether it's not just linear, you know, it's not like cradle to the grave, but cradle to cradle. I think that's um an exciting um, opportunity, yes, they, there are a lot of um, damages that's happening right now, but it's, it's time for us to get creative, you know, how can we turn this around, and not, instead of it being a waste, how can we turn it into a resource, you know, and that's why also I'm excited about um, the, the next generation, the younger generation, because they're, I don't know if you realize, they're much more awake, uh, like, uh, you know, they're awake, like, <laughs> more so than, they're very conscious about their their the consuming habits like I, I know a handful of um, Gen Zs where they're like this is my only coffee that I have today I'm not gonna you know bring uh, buy another one because I didn't bring my reusable cup and and I was like wow that's so these guys are just insp- inspiring and so I'm I'm optimistic about the future but not naive of course I think we have to take calculated risks um, but yeah it's it's time to get creative guys I mean how how fun is that we get to redesign the future.
1: We get to redesign the future. Yeah. That is the best way for, I, for us to end <laughs> this conversation. I don't think I could have ended it with anything better than we get to redesign the future. Um, so Niz, I want to, for our listeners, this has been, you know, on behalf of our listeners, this has been such an amazing conversation with you. How can they stay informed about what you and your team are doing um, at SAP?
2: Yeah, so... I mean, um, SAP is huge. Uh, SAP.com is one way. Okay. <laughs> um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, I typically post updates regarding the projects or initiatives that uh, that we're working on. Um, also, um, if you Google search SAP AppHouse, A P P H A U um, S, you'll be able to see you know the projects not just within in New York uh, because we're a team that's scattered across. Uh, Berlin, Seoul, Korea, Heidelberg, um, Palo Alto. So uh, we regularly update our projects there. So if you need some inspiration or you, you need some help, we also have tools that are totally open that you could use, like you know, taking that human-centered approach to innovation, um, using a design-thinking mindset and design-doing. Um, it's it's all out there. But otherwise, feel free to reach out to me, email, um, email LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, anyway.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Seth Rudin. It has been such a pleasure to have you with us today on Retail Revolution. I am super excited and pumped and stoked to go redesign the future.
0: Thank you
2: yeah. so much. <laughs> thank you as well for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible our guests, our students, and fellow faculty at Parsons School of Design, especially in such an extraordinary and unprecedented time. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.